This podcast is sponsored by The Christian Way of Life, the new book from Eric Alexander and Alliance Publishing. Find it online at reformedresources.org. What is the Christian way of life, and how can we live it? Some may reply with a list of do's and don'ts, but we need far more than a lecture. We need a Savior. In his new book, The Christian Way of Life, Eric Alexander leads readers down the radiant corridors of Romans 12 through 15, showing how the gospel of redeeming grace empowers us for holy and acceptable service to God. There is no secret in Christian living in a wasting world, only a simple truth. It is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Alliance Publishing is excited to share this new book book with you. Order your copies directly from the Alliance's online resource center, reformedresources.org. That's reformedresources.org. Also available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Order your copy today. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. God never asks anything of the unbeliever but absolute capitulation before the truth of man's complete ruin in sin and God's perfect remedy in Christ. But when we have come to that unconditional surrender, to the doctrine of ruin and redemption, then the Lord begins to work in us, calling us away from the old patterns of life and establishing us in a new framework of righteousness and enabling us to live as becomes our new position. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach, which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we will be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled Yielded Lives. If you ignore a yield sign on the road, you may have an accident and wreck your car. The Bible exhorts us to yield the members of our bodies as instruments of righteousness to God. If you disregard this command, you could ruin your life and nullify your witness and service for Christ. How can we learn to yield our lives in submission to God's perfect will and his holy righteous character. The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, Yielded Lives. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee for thy grace and faithfulness. And we thank thee that we can be sure that thou dost love us and art favorable towards us. Bless the going forth of thy word in this hour, that all who hear may grow spiritually 
and find in thee the power to live lives that shall be to thy praise and glory. We ask it in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text now brings us in Romans 6 to the end of the 13th verse. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. This text that is before us is, of course, addressed to believers only. If a man who has never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior should attempt to put this verse into practice, he would find himself completely frustrated and baffled. It is impossible for one who has not been born again to have a life that is that of the one who has been born again. Thus it is that the blessing of God upon true believers often incites the unbeliever to a fleshly imitation. He realizes that the believer possesses something which he does not possess, and, in the ordinary stupid fashion of the flesh, moves to get by self-effort that which can be achieved in reality only through grace. How many unsaved there are who attempt to imitate the lives of God's people with the vague thought that it must be pleasing to God, but it never can be so. We see, for example, that during Lent, some people who do not know God at all start some system of self-sacrifice, giving up little things or big things with the thought that thereby they can obtain God's favor and bring peace to their troubled hearts. But of course, this can never be. God must always begin with an individual at the cross of Jesus Christ, there to deal with sin and to implant a new life. It is in that new life that he will proceed to work. An old English divine a hundred more years ago described this attempt of the unbeliever to imitate the believer in the following sentences. He will not do precisely what God requires, but something like it. He will not entirely give up the world and put God first in his life, but he will try to meet some of God's wishes by a little alteration in his conduct. Instead of renouncing sin, he will cover it with the glory of small virtues. But it is one thing to conform to the outward practices of God's people. It is quite another to be thoroughly and truly godly at heart. And of course he was right. It is to the believer that the Lord addresses the exhortation of our text. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Or as another translation has it, Offer your members as weapons of justice for God, or yield the parts of your bodies to him as instruments of uprightness. It might be considered strange that the Lord has to plead with those whom he has saved from the pit that they should show some gratitude toward him. But it is not strange when we consider the frightful depths of the Adamic nature and the fact that this nature is with us until the day of our death or our transfer to heaven at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But though that nature is with us, God has made provision for our triumph, and this exhortation is calling us into the place of that sublime victory. This is why we need such a call from God. Let me illustrate this by a story. Several years ago, I was driving one Saturday evening, just at sundown, on my way to Pensacola, Florida. I had crossed the border from Alabama on Route 29 and was driving through that open cattle country in Escambia County, which has large reaches of semi-waste land. Suddenly I realized that one of my rear tires was going flat. 
I pulled over to the side of the road and sat for a moment disconsolately. I, I knew that the trunk of my car was filled with several hundred copies of my books, which are used in my meetings, and I sighed at the thought of the work that lay before me. Suddenly I saw the lights of a jeep coming toward me over the hill, and I waved down the driver and offered him a dollar to change the wheel of my car. He was a stalwart fellow and soon was briskly at work. He exclaimed at the number of books and was astonished when I said that they were books that I had written and told him what they were about. He said that his wife would be very interested because she was a Sunday school teacher and actively working in the little Baptist church over the hill. He admitted that he himself was not very much interested. And while he worked, his dog that was with him kept very close to him, nudging him, licking his hands, nuzzling him, sometimes licking his face. The man would stop to put his hand on the dog, to hug the dog to him, and then return to the work. Every move was followed by the dog, who didn't leave him by more than a few inches throughout the whole procedure. The man was very voluble and told me that the reason he was not in the army was that he had more than 20 broken bones in his body, and that he had received these fractures in accidents in the rodeo ring, as he was a rider of steers and wild horses. I finally remarked on the affection that he and the dog had for each other. He stopped and said, that dog saved my life. There was something almost fierce in his words. And then he told me the whole story. He'd been rounding up cattle on the unfenced ranges nearby and had gone into a thicket to drive out some calves that were there. There were many spots of very dangerous quicksand and in leaping from one dry hummock to another, he slipped and went into the quicksand. He realized his peril immediately and before he was sucked in more than to the calves of his legs, he lay backwards, distributing his weight over the whole body surface, but with his legs horribly twisted, sucked into the sand. He knew there was no use of crying out. There wasn't a man within a mile or more of him. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, this dog had come to him, and had licked his face and hands. He drew himself upright once more, and with his arms around the body of the dog, and with the dog pulling away, he drew first one leg and then the other from the quicksand and ultimately was able to grasp a dry hummock and regain his safety. He said to me, that dog can have anything I have. He eats with me. He goes everywhere with me. <laughs> My wife doesn't like it, but he generally sleeps with me. We laughed, and I said to him, what would you do if some ruffian should give that dog a good hard kick? He straightened up with a look of ferocity on his face and said, mister, I'd kill him. Then I told him that he was a very strange man, that he was more grateful to a dog for saving his body than he was to the Lord Jesus Christ for saving his soul from hell. I told him that he had been in something much worse than quicksand when the Lord Jesus died for him. The dog hadn't died, but the Savior had died for him. Isn't it strange that there are men who would treat a yellow dog, a yellow cur dog, better than they would treat the Lord Jesus from heaven? But it is true, and the reason can be found in the depths of sin within our Adamic nature. The man seemed to be thunderstruck, and he told me that while he had always believed that God loved him and that Christ had died for him, he had let the matter go by neglect, but that he would give serious attention to his spiritual life from then on. I told him that every time he became conscious of the dog nuzzling his hand or pressing against his leg, he should remember that there was an invisible Savior who was closer to him than breathing and nearer than hands and feet. 
At the beginning, when I had offered him a dollar to change the wheel, he had expressed his delight and told me that he was broke and very much needed a dollar. But now he said to me, Mister, instead of the dollar, could I have one of those books to take home to my wife? Well, of course, I gave him both the dollar and the book. And he told me that his wife would be very happy when he brought the book to her, and especially when he told her that he would give more care for his soul and love the Lord Jesus more sincerely and vitally. Oh, there are perhaps many of you that treat dumb animals better than you treat the Savior who died for you. Now it is to all who feel within them that they have not acknowledged the Lordship of Christ as they should that the words of this text are addressed. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, or give your faculties unto the Lord to be used by Him in righteousness. May I suggest that if you yield your life to God, first of all, God will cleanse your life. If you yield your life to God, God will fill your life. If you yield your life to God, God will use your life. And if you give your life to God, God will give it back to you. First, if you give your life to God, God will cleanse your life. The believer in Christ is in need of daily cleansing. Just as the priest in the Old Testament sacrifices of Israel stepped away from the altar where the blood was shed and moved to the laver where the water of cleansing was poured upon his feet, so the Christian, having passed through the work of redemption that comes to us from Christ's death on Calvary, must come back moment by moment to the Lord for cleansing. And this cleansing must be done in two ways, what I sometimes call wholesale and retail cleansing, and in another sense, special and regular cleansing. The wholesale cleansing is that which takes place when a Christian believer, having long since believed in Christ as Savior, and having been forgiven for all sin, comes to the Savior to make him Lord of all, and to acknowledge the principle of his mastery within and forever. This experience can be so overwhelming that there have been those who have falsely styled it a second work of grace though it is just one more in the great sequence of continuing works of grace which God is ever bringing into the lives of his own. The retail cleansing is that which occurs when the believer has gotten out of the will of God even for a moment and comes back to be restored to full fellowship. The difference between special cleansing and regular cleansing is the same as that difference between special and regular washing of the hands. A woman may work around the kitchen and go to a sink a score of times to rinse her hands because there has come some special need for cleansing. Or a student may get ink on his fingers and need special cleansing. But in the evening, as we come to the time of retiring, we go through our regular cleansing, even though there may not be any special dirt upon us. And thus it is with the life that is brought to the Lord day by day. There may come some special outbreak of sin, some rising surprise of the old Adamic nature, and for this we will need to rush back to God for special cleansing and restoration to full fellowship. And I want to advise very strongly that if any of you have anything in your heart and life that's unconfessed, that you just admit it in your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, here I give this away, I give myself to thee, and I recognize the reality of this particular sin. Cleanse me from it. And as often as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, pointing out some sin, admit it 
and keep very short accounts with God. But at the end of the day, when there will be nothing of special evil that shall have touched our lives, for thank God there are days like that, when we can look back and as far as we know, realize that there has been nothing that has been a violent outbreak of willful falling into sin, there will be nevertheless the real necessity of returning to him and asking forgiveness for the faults which he can see and which we may not recognize because of the blindness of our spiritual condition by nature. Now, whatever your spiritual condition, my text comes to you as a deep call from God. Yield yourselves to God and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Yes, give your life to God and God will cleanse it. Again, in the second place, we may be sure that if we give our lives to God, God will fill them. The cleansing implies an emptiness, and this emptiness God will always fill, and he will always fill it with himself, and that brings all satisfaction. We must be careful to understand that there is a false emptiness and a false filling, and to avoid them. The false emptiness is that which comes into a Christian life when the believer has grieved the Holy Spirit, and fellowship has been broken. The psalmist in Psalm 106.15, speaks of the fact that the Lord gave the children of Israel their own way, but sent leanness into their souls. That emptiness the flesh of the Christian often seeks to fill, and tragically enough, seeks to fill it in self-will, and seeks to fill it at times with Christian activities. I believe he, that we have here the explanation of the lives of some people in Christian work, even some ministers who preach, but who always leave out the essential heart of truth, who preach, but who come up to the edge of triumph and then fall short of it. I believe that we have here the explanation of the lives of many laymen who think that uh, attendance at church on Sundays should be a sufficient display of religious life and who do not wish to be disturbed any further. Deep, probing preaching, heart-searching messages that get to the bottom of spiritual hunger leave them uncomfortable, and they flee from such a ministry. But when there comes the true emptiness of getting to the end of one's self in God's dealings with us, there can be the true filling, the filling by the Holy Spirit, and the whole of our faculties will be yielded to the Lord as instruments for his righteousness. That filling of one's being with the whole of the dominating life of God is something that cannot be explained to those who have never known it. It would be easier to make a man born blind understand the colors of the rainbow or the soft shadings of the petal of a rose. This thought has been expressed in the ancient hymn by Bernard of Clairvaux. O hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to those who fall, how kind thou art, how good to those who seek. But what to those who find? Ah, this nor tongue nor pen can show, the love of Jesus what it is, none but his loved ones know. And the fullness of that love can be known only to those who have yielded their members unto him, as our text says, as instruments of righteousness, in order to be filled with him. In the third place, we come to the truth 
that if we yield our lives to God and our members as instruments of righteousness, God will use us for himself. God, of course, has all power, and without him we are nothing and can do nothing. But God has ordained that he will work in humanity entirely by human instruments. This is not the day of divine interventions in magnificent displays of miraculous powers. Today is the day of yieldedness to the Lord and simple working by him through the lives of those who are yielded to him. We must, of course, recognize that at times God used men who were not yielded to him. He used Moses in spite of the fact that Moses argued point by point against the will of God. And you'll find similar instances in Jacob, who ran away to escape being murdered, and yet who was blessed by God in the middle of that first night. But as a general rule, God blesses those who are yielded to him and cleansed for that purpose. Isaiah spoke of the fact that God had thus prepared him. In the year that King Uzziah died, he'd seen the Lord high and lifted up. And the vision of it, as the seraphim cried, Holy, 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 had caused Isaiah to say, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king. And it was then that he heard the voice of God saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And he had answered, Here am I, send me. And later in the 49th chapter he said, And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. The warrior who has a quiver of arrows with him in the field is not going to return home for others. And the Lord who has found and made us as sharpened swords and polished shafts hiding us in his quiver, is going to lay his hand upon us when the moment comes that there is need of someone to speak for him or act for him. To be used of the Lord is the height of blessedness. To rest in the knowledge of spiritual achievement is the greatest joy that the life of this world can offer. The certainty that the Lord has used you to bring some other soul nearer himself is a joy that is vastly greater than the joy of bringing forth even a firstborn child. There's an English hymn that says, I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed. E'en as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. Now none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. And finally, if we give our lives to God, God will give them back to us. He has never remained in debt to any of his children. Anything that we have ever done for him has been reimbursed to us a thousand times over. It is one of the certainties of the life that is Christ, that if we come to the place of a full and absolute surrender of our lives to Christ, then anything which we ever give up to him, we will always get back perhaps not in the form in which we surrendered it, nor in the time in which we desire it, but in a way that is so perfect that we are content forevermore that our Lord did the arranging for us. I can look back into my own experience and remember the great spiritual upheaval, the battles that raged within me in the days of my youth, and how, having surrendered my life to God, there came the necessity for a rededication to him each day, 
and a handing over of all the things that touched life. For when we surrender to the Lord, he will come and put his finger on the things we love the most and then look at us to see what we're going to do, what we're going to decide in connection with it. When we give it up gladly, even though perhaps with a wistful glance, because we are human, we will discover that the same thing comes back to us in a higher and a purer form. I can remember in my own life the great struggle when I handed over to the Lord my desire to travel. It was done in a way that allowed no withdrawal, for I was giving up a position in Europe with a travel agency, which would have given me a far-reaching life of adventure and travel. For some months, I was in a small place with no seeming outlet, and then it was that the Lord began to order my life in such a way that travel became a part of it. And a million miles in almost every part of the world has passed under my feet. In fact, there have been times when I've asked the Lord if there has not been enough, and if he cannot put me in one place for a longer period. But the travel that I got back was not that with the frenzied stamp of tourists seeking to cram a month of seeing into a week of time, but rather the leisurely moving from place to place and from Christian group to Christian group. Everywhere I go, I've been received by the Lord's own chosen ones and have entered immediately into homes where I am received as one of the family. The life that I surrendered to the Lord, I received back, enriched and multiplied a thousand times over. It is impossible to beat God-giving. You give your life to God, and God will give it back. Yield, therefore, your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And our Father, we pray thee that the Holy Spirit shall bless each heart, and use the word to thine honor and thy glory in bringing men to the end of self, that they may truly begin with thee. We ask it in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Mankind is completely ruined in sin, but God has provided a perfect remedy in Jesus Christ. His matchless love and indwelling Holy Spirit compel us to pursue lives yielded to His service. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, Yielded Lives. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the Internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at AllianceNet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, Yielded Lives, or simply request message number R6-29. We'd also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, More Names of God. What's in a name, wrote Shakespeare? When you study the names of God, you will discover a wealth of riches in the knowledge of Him. In this free booklet, Dr. Barnhouse focuses on five of the nearly 400 names of God in Scripture, showing how each name reveals glorious aspects of the Lord's character and attributes. Understanding the names of God will help you know Him better. Ask for your free copy of More Names of God when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, 
we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from the broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at AllianceNet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians, including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. Dr. Barnhouse in the Bible, a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, is now headquartered in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. To make a contribution or for more information, write to us at Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, 600 Eden Road, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 17601. You could also call 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at AllianceNet.org.